Um, hey, so we're, we're in the third week of the series. We're talking about the enemy. We said, not today, Satan, because we've had these moments where we felt these spiritual attacks, right? Anybody have spiritual attacks this week? You felt the enemy like really coming down on top of you. And as, as Christians, sometimes we're not, we're not well versed in who our enemy is. And we will oftentimes try to put our enemy as being flesh. And what we learned last week is the enemy is, is not flesh, right? It's not flesh. The enemy is the principalities, the, the darkness. The, the enemy is the enemy. It's the devil, right? And we try, to, we try to put on and say that, well, this person is, is a problem or, or they're the enemy. And what we see from the scriptures, Paul reminds us, is that is a distraction from what the real issues are. That we, we oftentimes find ourselves fighting the wrong enemies. And, um, and so we're looking and, and trying to figure out who is this enemy that has a target on my back, who has plans for me, who wants to destroy me. And we want to really look at this morning of how this enemy, his inner workings, to how he gets into our minds. Our minds. So before we start, I, I want to share a quick story with you. I, I remember it was my sophomore year of college. I'm at North Greenville University, and for some reason, the, the, the school decided it would be a good idea to move 20 guys off, technically off campus, into their two-story plantation house, okay? It was like winning the lottery in college. We went from a small dorm room to a two-story house that was semi-off campus, which meant they weren't watching what we were doing, and so we got into all kinds of issues. Let me tell you, a three-man slingshot and fruit will do a lot of damage to things, okay? Um, and if you get caught, it'll do, also do a lot of damage. This house is beautiful, and, and we were living, living the lifestyle. We had a kitchen. We had all these bathrooms. There was even a hot tub upstairs. But none of us dared to get in it because we didn't know how clean it was, and nobody wanted to get sick because we didn't have a good nurse's station on campus. And there was one night, we, we had, you know, probably four or five weeks into this house, enjoying it, living it up. Everybody's jealous. They wanted to be a part of living in this house. Um, there was a smell that kind of came up, and we couldn't figure out what it was. It's like, because, you know, 20 college guys, probably somebody didn't wash the dishes because there was a pile of dishes about this big in the sink. We were just letting them soak, you know, just letting them soak. And so there, there were dishes there, and, and there was trash that probably needed to go out, and, and somebody had, you know, left some old bread that was getting stale and moldy, and so we started just cleaning stuff out. But the smell continued, and we could not figure it out. Finally... After going through the whole house, we called the maintenance department over. Nobody could figure out the smell. One of our guys said, you think it's something underneath the house? I was like, well, I'm not going underneath the house. So they did. You know what we found? A dead skunk. Okay? Dead skunk. And this thing had been there for quite a while, sleeping. And the smell because we realized we didn't know a whole lot then. We didn't have subflooring underneath our wooden floors, so that smell just kept seeping right on up into the house. And it, it was awful, awful. And what we couldn't see that was coming on the outside, there was something brewing on the inside. And when it comes to the enemy, and when it comes to us, what happens on the outside begins with what happens on the inside. See, for that situation in that home, 
it was a skunk who, for some reason, decided that was going to be his final place of rest. And what was happening on the inside of that cross space began to come out on the outside. It's just like that in our lives. Whatever we cram down in our well will always come back up in the bucket. So what we take in is exactly what will come out of us. Let's look at what Paul has to say about this in Romans chapter 8. Paul says this, and I want you to, I want you to pay close attention to the words that he uses. Okay, These are hostile terms. These are like military terms. They're, they're, they're aggressive. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Spirit. So so Paul states here that if we're thinking about sinful things, then that is a sure sign that you are being dominated by what nature? Your sinful nature. If your thoughts are always on how to get somebody back or you know, always having to gossip about it or having to tell a couple of lies about it or not willing to do the right things, what he's saying is if that's where your mind is, you are being dominated, taking control of, in submission to your sinful nature. The very thing that, that Jesus came to die for is to break that sinful nature and restore relationship with him. So he says that those who are dominated by the sinful nature... Think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about it. What what does it say? If you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, then you think about things that do what? Please the Spirit. So he's saying, where's your mind? If we are controlled, this means that we are in submission to. So he says... But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, this means that I have surrendered everything that I am into the hands of the Holy Spirit to say, listen, I surrender. I surrender, and I am now in full control of whatever it is that you want me to do. And when we're under control of the Holy Spirit, our brains begin to think differently. We process things differently. This is why you'll go, the world looks at Christians that follow Jesus and say, man, your life looks so different from everybody else. You react differently. You talk differently. You see things differently. Why? Because when our minds are where they need to be and they're controlled by the Holy Spirit, he says that we think about things that please the Spirit. So he says, when we think about these things, we please the Spirit. Paul says, actually, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we have the mind of Christ. Didn't say, didn't say have the heart of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a mind of Christ? Well, to have a mind of Christ simply means this, that, that we are sharing the plan and the purpose and the perspective of Jesus. I'm trying to think and act like Jesus. That's the whole having the mind of Christ. We're walking according to the Spirit and what the Spirit has accomplished we're setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. And you notice it didn't say that you set your mind on the Spirit. Do you notice that? It didn't say set your mind on the Spirit. It said set your mind on the things of the Spirit. There's a difference here, and I, and I don't think it's by coincidence or, or Paul uh, just missed something. I think he's being very intentional here when he says you set your mind on 
the things of the Spirit, because setting your mind on the things of the Spirit means that we're thinking about the things of the Spirit. We're thinking about the things that He loves, the things that He cares about, the things that He wants us to do. That's where our minds are set. So we love whatever He loves. We seek the things that He wants to seek. And we know the Bible says that He came to seek and save the lost. We're on a mission. We're on mission. When you are in fellowship with someone, you talk about mutual interest, right? This is how your friends become your friends. You have mutual interest. Whether it's hobbies, activities, it's people, we have mutual interest. Um, when you're in fellowship with the Spirit, you think like the Spirit. You have, there's mutual interest, right? Like, I want to love the things that you love. I want to do the things that you do. I want to see things the way that you see them. It is, it is in fellowship. Think about this with your spouse, with your family. You, you, the reason that you met your spouse is because there was a mutual interest, right? That there was something. You have these friends in your life, these circles in your life, because they're a mutual interest. You share in these things. So with the Holy Spirit, there's a mutual interest. This is why we begin to think about the things of the Spirit, not just who He is. I can think about my wife all day long, but it's the interest that drives the relationship. It's the fellowship that drives the relationship. So the things that the Spirit loves, what does the Spirit love? What is he thinking about? He's thinking about God's glory, of who God is. He's thinking about what it means for us to have a relationship with Jesus, trying to push us in that way to bring conviction, to bring comfort, to bring counsel, to bring illumination to that of the Scriptures, to help us to be able to, to have this relationship with God. This is why Paul would write in Philippians 4.8, he says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. You think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The mind's a big deal, is it not? Are you catching that there's a lot of that word mind being used here in these passages? That we think, the way we think, the way we do things, it all comes from our minds. Paul says we got to think about these things. Dwell on these things. When we dwell on these things, the Spirit and you are in fellowship. And where the Spirit is, so is the Spirit's power. So your life begins to bear fruit spiritually. Where the Spirit is and you're in relationship, the Spirit's power is there. You want to know why a lot of churches aren't growing and aren't seeing moves of God? Because they're not connected to the Spirit. It's like having a brand new car and no engine in it, right? You've got to be connected to the Spirit. What if the greatest danger of our sin was not what kind of bad effect that it would have on people, or if it's a big sin or a little sin? What if the greatest damage of our sin was that it cut us off from the Spirit of God? Because I'll tell you, some, some reasons that some of our prayers aren't being answered is because there is a blockage in between us and the Holy Spirit. There's some kind of sin that we've not repented of. We're not thinking in the ways of the Spirit, and therefore is, there's a blockage of the Spirit. Because we often evaluate sin by how bad the effect is, right? Well, this is, I'm not, I didn't do anything that's that bad. At least I didn't do it that bad. You know, y'all know how your kids do that? Well, at least I didn't, and they compare it to somebody else. I think we need to be more concerned about 
not how bad our sin was, but how much our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. That changes things. That changes everything. What if we could be cut off from fellowship with the Holy Spirit because of unrepentant sin? Unrepentant. So Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He says, so, and again, I want you to pay attention to the wording. So letting, this is allowing this to happen. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Anybody? Leads to death. So he's saying, let me understand if I get this right. If we let our sinful nature control our minds, we die. Which tells me we can't do it. We have to have Jesus to do it. This is why he says die to self. He says, so your sinful nature, you let that control? Let it control your mind, that leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and you get peace. That's a good trade-off. That, that if I will allow, let, surrender to the Spirit and let the Spirit control my mind, this leads to life and peace. My life's direction begins with a choice. Will I follow that of the Holy Spirit? Or will I choose to walk in my own ways that I know is going to lead to death? I can choose life or I can choose death. As Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve. Like we've got to make a decision. Because one gives to life, one gives, one gives to death. So Paul says that you have to have your mind set on. Our thoughts have to be set on. Did you know in the Bible, in the Old Testament alone, that word mind is used over 400 times in the Old Testament? Would you say that that was an important word? Over 400, just the Old Testament. We're not even getting the New Testament on this. I'm just saying the Old Testament, 400 references to the word mind in the Old Testament. The mind is the essence of who we are, body, soul, spirit. Now I want to show you something, and I think this is going to, Paul was kind of talking about this without realizing that he was talking about this. But I want to show you a little bit of the nerd side of me of the brain. Can, can we talk about science for just a second so that you can understand what Paul's trying to say? This is where my nerd side comes out. I love to read books on, on the brain as part of the uh, doctorate work I did. This is how we process. This is the mind's process, okay? Everybody thinks that everything originates in your brain. It doesn't originate in your brain. It originates in your mind. Remember, what word does Paul keep using over and over again? Your mind, right? Because that's the first, that is the first step. It's the, again, the essence of who we are. It, it is the, the body, the soul, and the spirit are found in the mind. Every day that we're living, all these experiences that we're taking in right now, we're going to go home, we're going to go to bed, and guess what's going to happen? Our brains are going to start, this is why some of you can't sleep at night, because your brains are in hyper mode trying to process every experience that you've gone through, right? You go through trauma, it's your brain has, has got it on the accelerator, and you're processing it, and we make really bad decisions when our brains are just boom, 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 boom. So the way this works is we, our minds, our, things occur in our minds, in, the, in our minds, of our, our experiences, body, soul, spirit, right? That drops into our thoughts. So everything originates in the mind, and it drops to our thoughts. So our thoughts are what come from our mind. Those are the things that keep us up at night. If we have a negative thought, if a negative thought gets in there, the mind is unhealthy, we didn't 
Remember, Paul says, capture every thought, make it obedient. If we don't make those thoughts obedient, we will, we will have negative thoughts. Negative thoughts will equal a negative feeling, and a negative feeling will equal a negative behavior every time. But if we capture the thoughts and make our minds obedient to Christ, and we're thinking on the things of Christ, what happens is when our mind produces a thought, it can produce a positive thought. Positive thoughts produce positive feelings, which produce positive results. You, you catching it so far? So this is the way that everything, everything originates this way. When Paul's talking about the sinful nature and, and, our, and our, our nature of, of Jesus, the Spirit's nature, that our mind drops it into our thoughts, and then our thoughts, depending on if it's positive or negative, will now drop it into our brain. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Your brain is like a computer, okay? If I grab my phone, we have more technology in this little thing right here than they had in the first spaceship that went up into the moon. If I wanted to open my text messages on my phone, I, does my phone just randomly do that for me? No, I, got, I click messages, okay? And it tells me I got 101 text messages. Don't judge me. And my daughter just texted me in the middle of search. So anyway, okay, I'm telling this what to do. I want to check my email. I click it, and it starts processing that. I want to, I want to order DoorDash. Anybody want anything? I click DoorDash app. What happens? It starts computing all that. So what happens is what I input into this device gets processed. So think about it this way. The mind drops a thought, positive, negative thought. Whatever it is, that thought gets dumped into the brain, and this is, again, why you stay up at night can't figure things out because your brain's running 1,000 miles an hour trying to process the thoughts. Your brain is just a computer processor. Whatever you put in it is what it processes, whatever experience you have. Once the brain processes that thought, it produces a chemical reaction. Again, depending on, and I, we don't want to get into too, too much of the detail, but if it's a, a positive, then you're going to get a, a bunch of positive chemical reactions. If it's negative, it's going to be a bunch of negative. And by the way, when you have a bunch of negative thoughts, it's seen that 75% to 85% of all mental health issues come from your thoughts. Got it? Come from your thoughts. Because... Negative thoughts run rampant in the brain and produce chemical reactions that are not healthy, and this is what starts causing all kinds of issues with people. Do you think it's important that we capture our thoughts? What we watch, what we see, what we hear, what we expose ourselves to, what we expose our children to, it all comes here, okay? So the brain processes is a chemical reaction, and then there's an action, that we carry that out. Now, that took a long time to explain, but for us, it takes just a second to do it. We can make bad decisions in like 0.3 seconds, can't we? We don't process them the way we do. This is the way that God has designed our bodies. They, they were talking, there's a research out there, they, they took these patients that had HIV, and what they did was they had, you know, when they were given that diagnosis, their first thought was, I'm going to die. Well, they said, we want, to, we want to try something. So they found a bunch of people that were encouragers that would just send positive thoughts and encouragement to them. 
And they pulled all these people together, and they began encouraging on that floor of these HIV patients, hey, you're doing great. Just giving them positive encouragement. Not lying to them, just positive encouragement. And they saw 300,000, um, their chances went up 300,000 of, of extending their lifespan for just positive words. What happens in our brains is super important. Because the mind produces the thoughts, the thoughts go into the brain to process, the process equals a chemical reaction, and the chemical reaction produces an action. So, capture your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. That's how we stay out of the sinful nature. When our minds are set on a fleshly desire, the spirit is driven out. It's driven out. So I would say it this way. We always say mind over matter, right? It's not mind over matter. It's the mind of Christ over what matters. It's not mind over matter. It's not mind over matter. It is the mind of Christ over what matters. Seeing things the way that Jesus sees them. Hearing it the way Jesus hears it. Experiencing it the way that Jesus experiences it. It's a process. Paul didn't realize he was saying all that and he was speaking to the biological makeup and the physiological makeups of, of our brains. But again, who was giving Paul the words to write? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit knew what he was talking about. When the Spirit goes, and we don't bring the Spirit into our, our thought processes, what happens is it drives out and we lose out on life and peace. And when there's no peace, there is chaos. And who's the author of chaos? Because Jesus, or God says, I'm not the author of chaos. So that comes from the who? Comes from the enemy. Comes from the devil, right? So Paul says that the mindset of the flesh, when our minds produce negative thoughts, it produces selfish thoughts, that mindset of the flesh. So what is it? Well, look what Paul says in verse 7. This is an attitude of hostility towards God. He says this, for the sinful nature will always always hostile to God. It's always hostile. The sinful, there'll never be a moment where the sinful nature will sometimes be hostile towards God or, you know, it just kind of ebb and flow however it wants to operate. Paul says that that sinful nature will always be hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Now, who's Paul talking to? Just to understand, he is talking to people who do not have a relationship with Jesus right here, okay? So, you, can, you still have your sins, I still have my sins, we are still forgiven, and this is a lifelong process, right? So he, he's writing to people who, in this moment, do not know Jesus, and he's saying, the sinful nature is always hostile. He even uh, There's even some writings in here that say, before we even came to Christ, that we were enemies of God. So how do you think God takes our sin? He takes it seriously. So how do we summarize like verse 7 of it's hostile. I, I would summarize, there's five selves here, okay? I'll put these, I'll email these out or something, but there's a self-will. Instead of God's will, it's going to be me. I can do this. So you got self-will. You got self-glory. I'll get the credit for this, not God, right? Self-gratification. I'm going to prioritize my pleasures and comforts above the will of God. It's all about me and what I like and, and how I feel. Self-righteousness. I'm trying to be good enough to distinguish myself to earn some type of acceptance from somebody. 
self-sufficiency. I have what it takes to overcome. I can do this. Even independent from God, I've got this. Worst words ever for a Christian to say is, I got this. Because God going, no, you don't. No, you don't. I heard that in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago. You ain't got this. Fellowshipping with the Spirit. We fellowship him with the Spirit, we get life and peace. When we get this life and peace and we're fellowshipping, this means that we're putting God in each of these places of self. We are dying to self. There's a self-dying here. Self I have been crucified with Christ. No longer that I live, but he lives in me. So there's this, this fellowshipping that is happening. So we think on God's will. We think on God's glory. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about my wants. It's about his wants. And as we think on that, and our minds are put in that, here's what is a very interesting thing that happens. The Spirit begins to surge within our lives. That's huge. Because there's no, there's, think about it as a water hose. We can, you pinch that water hose, what happens to the water coming out the other end? It ain't going anywhere. Now, it's funny when somebody's looking at the other end of that water hose, I don't know why we decide to look at the water hose to see what's there, and then you let it go. But you think, that when you're fellowshipping with the Spirit, that, that hose gets unreleased. And then power just surges out the other side of that. When we're in fellowship with the Spirit, Paul's saying, when we're not tied to our spiritual nature, we get this life and peace and the power of the Spirit begins to work through us. When the power of the Spirit works in his people, his church is unstoppable. You want to talk about churches that have died. It's because the Holy Spirit has kind of been pushed to the side. I used to joke that some of the churches I grew up in always kept the Holy Spirit in the janitor's closet because they didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know what to do with them. And so Paul says, he goes on to say this, but you are not controlled, he's talking to the believers now, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit of God, what is this word? If you have the Spirit of God, what? It starts with an L. Living, Right? Sorry, I messed you up on that one. He says, if you have this spirit, I was really concerned for a moment there. But he says, you are controlled by the spirit. And if you have the spirit of God living in you, living in you. That, that word there is, means not an occasional visitor. It means dwelling. It means that he has moved the furniture in. He is a resident of your life. He is dwelling. And Paul says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the, by the Spirit because the Spirit of God is dwelling, living, not a visitor, has a mailing address, has a key to the, to the room. He is a permanent resident. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That's, that might be the most powerful thing that I tell you today because I think sometimes we discredit ourselves. You have the Holy Spirit. You can do this. You can change the world for Jesus because you have the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says the amount of spiritual power that you and I experience in life has nothing to do anymore with how much of him you have, but how much of you he has. How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? What is scaring you to fully release yourself into the power and the work of the Holy Spirit? Because here's the thing. 
This outward evidence is a result of the choice. When I choose to say, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to live in me, to take up this dwelling within me, as an outward evidence begins to happen because my life is different because I'm fellowshipping with the Spirit. I am thinking on the things of the Spirit. Wouldn't you agree with me that if you're fellowshipping with the Spirit and you're thinking on the things of the Spirit, wouldn't you agree that it, your life would look completely different from everybody else, from a lost and broken world? Sometimes it's hard to identify who the Christians are and who the world is. It's difficult because they have merged together and blend. We should not blend. We should stand out. So are you in fellowship with him? How much of what, what you do grieves him? And then look at what he says. Verse 10, he says, In Christ, and he wants to drive this point home, lives within you, so even though your body's going to die, we all have an expiration date, your body will die because of sin. What is he talking about? Genesis chapter 3. There was no death in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Sin came in chapter 3. Death came in chapter 3. Guys, you, you want to know why your back hurts every time that you cut grass or even try to wake up in the morning and get out of bed? Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Lady, you know why childbirth hurts so bad? Genesis chapter 3. It was all a curse of us. It was all of sin. And he says our bodies are going to die because of sin. The Spirit gives you life because you have been made right. You're made righteous and right standing with God. He says, there's not going to be a point that you're going to stand before God and he's going to go, mm, sorry, made a mistake with you, be gone. That he has declared you righteous. On your worst day, Jesus has still declared you righteous because of his blood. Think about it. Even on your worst day. He says, you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you oh not just a power the spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead lives in you and just as god raised christ jesus from the dead here's the promise that he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit that is living within you what is he saying that we often treat the christian life like it's just this gradual self-improvement got to get a little better Got to get a little bit better. That falls into legalism and will fall into to worry about all these morals. He says that the Christian life is not about this gradual self-improvement. It is about fellowship with the Spirit. Fellowship with the Spirit. And that's the game changer. Because if I'm in fellowship with the Spirit, he says, because we typically, right, we, we evaluate sin based on how bad the effects are. Well, if I do this, how bad is this going to really hurt? It's not really that big of a deal because I didn't kill anybody, right? So I, I just stole a piece of gum and I didn't kill anybody. So that's, that's different, right? But again, what, is, what if the worst devastation of sin was grieving the Spirit of God? That we missed out. And we cut them off. We cut the power off from our lives because of not fellowshipping with the Spirit. We begin making small areas of compromise as, as bad decisions the thing is that we have to understand that when we surrender to the spirit we receive power and choosing the spirit brings power and it's scary it's scary and here's why it's scary because the holy spirit can't be controlled you ever notice how he's described in the scriptures fire and wind absolute worst combinations Call the fire department, ask them if you can burn something in your backyard on a windy day. The answer is going to be, why? 
when you surrender to self, you're not worried about the control. You just let the Holy Spirit have his way. You just let it have his way. You let him do whatever he needs to do. The Spirit of God is at work in you. He's at work in me. He's producing a righteous heart in you right now. And one day he's going to deliver you physically from this body of death into this brand new world without corruption or pain or death. We're going, we're, there's, there's another side to this story, amen? We're, we're going to stare at Jesus face to face in the new heavens and the new earth without all this mess. Right now he's, he's resurrecting hearts. And on the day that he returns and we, we go home, our hearts are going to be fully resurrected. We're going to have resurrected bodies. Everything changed. We, everything ends in victory for us, everybody. But we walk around defeated and powerless, and we have been given victory and power through the Holy Spirit. So, just as sure as the Spirit raised Jesus from the grave, He will raise us to this beautiful, perfect, everlasting life. Let me read this verse to you one more time in, in verse 11. Because some of you need, you need to let this just sit. He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The same one. Is that the life you want? Because it starts with total surrender to the Spirit and a commitment to grow in fellowship with Him. I get, I, I get concerned just being being honest, I, I get really concerned about the move movement of churches that they get stuck. And, and I, I have this conviction for us is that this is this can be a place that we get stuck of lack of fellowship with the Spirit. And I'm glad we show up every Sunday, as we should. The Scriptures talk about we gather together, right? And we fellowship with one another. But do we put in the time and the effort of fellowshipping with the Spirit as we do with one another? Is it priority? If you knew right now that you could have a peace that surpasses all understanding and you could have an everlasting life, wouldn't you want to know how to have that? Wouldn't, how many of you would want that? Because that's a promise of the Spirit. If you knew that was better, if you knew that we were living life through our sinful nature, but man, Jesus has come and prepared a way for us to live in this new way. He's, he's come, as he says in John 10, 10, for us to have life, life more abundant. Wouldn't we want that? My prayer for you, my prayer for me, because I don't have it all together. I don't know if you know that, but I don't. God uses donkeys and he's using me, so I let that ride. But my prayer for our church has just been for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. You know, I don't know if you've seen, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week, but the news of like these revival that has broken out in Kentucky. You know, before there was a church-wide revival, there was personal revivals of what the Holy Spirit was doing at work and people and their fellowshipping of their time with the Spirit by themselves. And now we're, we're seeing revivals breaking out on college campuses all across the United States. I, I know there's at least five that have already happened. But we call for revival, for the Spirit to revive our souls, but before that happens corporately, it has to happen personally. And I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you. 
I look back on my life, years, 40 years old, right? I know I look 21. I get it. It's a curse. But I look back on what I know now. I'm like, man, all those wasted years. Well, you were pastoring in ministry all your life. Yeah, all those wasted years of not having this concept of understanding. The power was never within me. It was in the spirit. And what would happen if this, this, generation, this young generation would grasp that? What would it look like? What would it look like if the boomers grasped this concept? The millennials, the Gen Xers, the whatever the other ones want to be at this point. What, what would happen if we would just embrace that? Is that the, the Holy Spirit that was at work in Acts, that, that Paul's talking about here, is the exact same Holy Spirit that is dwelling right here in this room in our lives right now and wanted to activate this power to do the work of Christ, to have the same mind. We're going to sing about God's goodness because sometimes we've had really bad weeks. And we have to be reminded that he is good. That, that his goodness goes before us. That his mercy follows after me. It is chasing me down. His goodness is chasing me down. Because we need a mind reset this morning. Would you agree with me? We need a mind reset. As, as we worship, I want you to do something for me. Because worship drives out the enemy. Because he can't stand the praise of God to be sung. Right now, we're going to set our minds as we sing on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy of God. So I'm going to challenge you to do something that's going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to ask you to sing loudly. There's no judgment. You may say, I don't have a gift of singing. And you got a heart, right? Just do it. I just want you to sing and get these push Satan's thoughts out. Let's, let's fill our minds with the things of Christ and declare this morning God's goodness. So Father, I pray right now in this very room that we would begin to, to surrender ourselves and our minds to you. That we would capture these thoughts. We would make them obedient to Jesus. That we would fellowship with the Spirit. We would see things the way that you see them. Our hearts would love the things that you love. They would break for the things that break yours. God, if we have unrepentant sin in this place right now, I just pray that in, these, in this moment, in this place that we're standing, one-on-one -on -one between you and them, that God, confession would happen, repentance of sin would happen right here in this place. You want to do a mighty work through us. You want to do a work because you've given us a spirit. The mission has not ended. We still have breath. We still have life. We have the hope of the world at our hands that we can share your gospel with people. But it only comes to that of the Holy Spirit that gives us the authority to be able to preach the gospel, to share the word, and change the world, God. There are people right now who have blocks in their minds, that there's negative thoughts that are happening in their minds, that the enemy has taken stronghold and they're experiencing what's going to be death. I pray that they would experience the life of the Holy Spirit, that they would have life and they would have peace, and that the life would be more abundant. It would be better than anything they could ever see because, God, they're in your presence and your presence alone. May we die to ourselves this morning and let your spirit move. Let us take our hands off of it. No more control from us. We don't want any control. We want to go where you go. We'll step where you step. And God, if your presence isn't there, we don't move. But if it moves, we go. And we go faithfully and we surrender everything that we have 
right now in this moment. God, thank you for the healing that's about to take place. May our minds be set on that which is of Christ. And we pray this thing in the powerful name of Jesus who loves us and cares for us and accepts us just as we are. We pray these things in his name. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and declare victory this morning.